Wow, give our praise band another round of applause, would you please? <clears throat> Let me invite you to Job chapter 2 today, Job chapter 2. And while you're turning there, turn to your neighbor and repeat after me. Tell them, if it wasn't for you, I'd be the best looking person in this room. <laughs> We're going to talk a little bit today about friends. And in Job chapter 2, we're going to meet the friends of Job. Now, I will say this to you. I understand the friends of Job. They don't necessarily have the best reputation. A little bit like Job's wife. I think uh, sometimes we look at them and we think, my goodness, with friends like that. You know? But in actuality, they're very good friends. And we're going to talk about what this is. Uh, now, they're, they're, you know, they're a little short in the, um, in the humility uh, level. And, uh, and, and they're a little self-righteous, that's true. And their wisdom is a little skewed. They've got a lot of uh, prosperity gospel in them, right? And God later rebukes them. And Job, Job even says to them, and I'll paraphrase one particular passage, he says, surely wisdom is going to die with you guys. You guys think you're all that. And then later he calls them miserable comforters. And indeed, that is the case. But we, when we first meet them, there are six characteristics in Job chapter 2 that lead us to understand they're actually very good friends. So we're going to talk about good friends, and we're going to pick apart those qualities in just a minute. And we're going to actually compare them. And I don't know that, I had to really pray about this one because uh, in a way, they represent Jesus. In a way, they do. Six characteristics, and all of them point toward Jesus because Jesus is our good friend. Would you agree to that? Amen. So these characteristics are true of, of Jesus, and they're true of these three men. And we're going we're gonna to study them in just a minute. Let's pray together first, okay? Father, we love you. We thank you for the opportunity you've given us to gather in your house. And God, as we look around today, it is so, so wonderful to see so many guests and so many of your people gathered today on this cold morning here in Florida, Lord. And we thank you, God, for your blessings. We ask now that you bless us, Lord, with <clears throat> attentive minds and hearts. Teach us the things you'd have us to know. And Lord, I pray if there's one person here that is not in a relationship with you, Lord, that doesn't yet have Jesus as their Savior, I pray today they'd come to know him and ask him to be their Savior and meet this wonderful friend we have in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> We're going to pick up in verse 11. Would you look there with me, please, if you're there? Job chapter number 2 and verse 11. Now, when Job's three friends heard of all this adversity that had come upon him, each one came from his own place. Now, let's pause just a moment. Let me remind you, and if you were not with us previously in our study, we, we call this series Once Upon a Time in the Land of Us. And we call it that because in a way, it kind of, it starts out and it ends like a fairy tale. It starts out, there was a man in the land of us. And then at the very end of the chapter, of course, God blesses and, and they all live happily ever after. But man, what trials and adversity come to this man named Job. Would you agree with me? What, what horrific circumstances he deals with. We have already studied in our series the loss of his finances, the loss of his family, and the attack on his flesh. 
And so the Bible says when his friends hear of what he's going through, they get together and they come to see him. Now they're named in this text for us, and this is an interesting thing. We find out very little about them, but if you know something about the areas, maybe you can, uh, you can uh, glean what they're like. Eliphaz the Temanite. Teman was actually the capital of Edom, and they were known as having men that were of great wisdom. The people were searchers out of understanding, if you will, and they were known for that reputation. Bildad the Shuhite, this is the shortest man in the Bible, by the way. <clears throat> they don't get better. Shuhite, I'm just saying. Okay, anyway, if you have to explain it, just go on. And so <laughs> I know some of you will argue that because there is a man that stands on his watch, so that might be the smallest man in the Bible. Yeah, all right. Zophar, Zophar the Namathite. Uh, Naaman, by the way, was thought to be a very prominent man. Uh, these were descendants of him. And, and so again, we find some very qualified men. As a matter of fact, the Bible tells us if you want to be wise, you walk with wise men. Would you agree? You want to be wise, you walk with wise people. And so here is a man who is, who is tremendously wise, Job. And his friends are wise, and they have a reputation of wisdom. And then the Bible says, For they had made an appointment together to come and mourn with him, and to comfort him. And when they raised their eyes from afar, they did not recognize him. They lifted their voices and wept. And each one tore his robe and sprinkled dust on his head toward heaven. So they sat down. Now this verse amazes me. So they sat down with him on the ground seven days and seven nights, and no one spoke a word to him, for they saw that his grief was very great. So I got to tell you, these guys are good friends. Now, they're, you know, their wisdom is questionable, I agree, but, but they're good friends. They're good friends. So let's do this. Let's kind of pick them apart and, and talk about this. I've come across several things relating to friends. And one of those I found is saying that friends are the bacon bits in the salad bowl of life. I thought that was pretty good. <laughs> and then to uh, a good friend, a true friend, it is said, is someone who thinks you're a good egg even when they know you're slightly cracked. <laughs> that may be true. Amen. And to quote the great theologian, Cookie Monster, Sometimes me think, what is friend? Then me say, friend is someone to share last cookie with. So you got a good friend is important. <laughs> You'll not find him quoted anywhere else as a great theologian. That only happens here. So you want to write that down. He had good friends, good friends. I'm reminded of the story actually of the man who met this girl and he told all of his buddies, he said, man, she's wonderful. She's my, she's just uh, going to become my, my, my best friend and I'm pretty serious about her, only she's not sophisticated at all. She, she's not cultured, she's not refined and, and I'm gonna, I've decided I'm going to surprise her and I'm going to take her somewhere special that will help her with that sophistication. And they said, well, where are you going to take her? He said, well, it's a secret, but I'll, I'll tell you this much. He said, it starts with the letter B and rhymes with wallet. He said, yeah, think about that. <laughs> Brother Ron, you want to help me out with this one? Not sophisticated wallet, ballet maybe? 
Yeah, point number one in your notes. <laughs> point number one in your... <laughs> oh, Brother Larry. Oh, man. Why'd you tell me to sell that one? He, that was... <laughs> point number one in your notes. Personal. Personal. A good friend is somebody who's personal. My wife, would you hand me a pen so I can strike that in the next service? A good friend is somebody who's personal. The Bible says when they heard, when they heard of the adversity that their friend went through. Now, now let me just say this to you. You know, not everybody that walks up to you and says to you, asks you that question of, how are you doing? Not everybody wants to know. You, you ever ask somebody that and they really told you? And you're standing there like, well, you know, I don't know what to do now. I don't know whether I should... I'm, I'm sorry, I didn't, I had no idea. And, and so, but your good friends, they really want to know. Am I right? You really, you really want to know. And so here the Bible tells us that they heard of the problems their friend went through. I'm reminded in the book of Nehemiah, of Nehemiah who was serving, of course, as the king's cupbearer. In Nehemiah chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, the Bible says the words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah, it came to pass in the month Chislu in the 12th or the 20th year, as I was in Shushan, the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brethren, came with me, or with men from Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped. Now, Nehemiah's heart was with all of his people back in Jerusalem. And so he inquired. Now follow me, there's an important part of this. So he inquired, how are they, uh, those who survived the captivity and concerning Jerusalem? And they said to me, the survivors who are left from captivity in the province are there in great distress and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are burned with fire. So it was when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned for many days. I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. You say, what are you getting at? I'm saying that there's a difference in being uh, acquainted with somebody and truly having an interest in them and being a personal friend. Many of you have uh, no doubt Facebook pages and you have hundreds upon friends, hundreds upon hundreds of friends on there. But how many do you actually keep track of? You have friends, we have acquaintances, but the ones that are good friends, we personally inquire of. We want to know their condition. These friends wanted to know the condition of their friend Job. And indeed they found out. You know, Jesus, being a good friend, the Bible tells us actually in Proverbs uh, that uh, uh, we have a friend that sticks closer than a brother. A man who has friends, Proverbs 18, 24, a man who has friends must himself be friendly, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Quite honestly, we get, we get two pictures here. One is your earthly friends. You say, well, I don't have any friends. Well, it might be because you're not making an effort to have friends. Amen? for whatever that's worth. Last night, I, I was invited to attend one of the fellowships of one of our classes, and we have tremendous groups, uh, study groups here, tremendous classes, and, and, and I was thinking as I was leaving that uh, Christmas get-together, you know, what a tragedy it is that so many of our people don't 
participate in that type of thing. Don't have friends like this. Don't get together with other people. What a tragic thing it is that you're missing out on some wonderful friendships. Jesus is a personal friend to us, and he tells us that we must be friendly if we want to have friends. And so understanding Jesus was concerned about our condition. Jesus knew uh, the state that we were in. Greater love, John chapter 15 and verse 13 says, no one has than this, than one would lay down his life for his friends. Jesus said, you are my friends. And so I think that's important that we stop for a little while and focus on this, that he is very personal. I came across something recently that, that worries me a little bit in the trend of Christianity. And that is, I came across the argument that somehow referring to Jesus as a personal savior is thought to be incorrect today by many. And I, I studied it out and looked at it. And, and the emphasis was that Jesus, they say, came for, for us to be saved. He died for the church and that we are expected to be part of community. And, and I agree that we're expected to be part of community and not to isolate ourselves. I agree with that. But on the other hand, I want you to know something that I was told many, many years ago that I think is still true today, and that is this. If you were the only person that would ever trust Jesus as your Savior, he still would have come and died. Jesus came to die for you. He's a very personal Savior. We grow in the community of the church. I understand that. But I'm here today to tell you that Jesus is a personal Savior. He died for you individually. Let us not lose that sight that he's a personal Savior who is concerned about us and he died for us. Secondly, good friends are pursuing. Pursuing. That's second in your, in your study sheet. And what do we mean by that? Well, the Bible says that these guys left. Apparently, they traveled quite some distance. The Bible says when they were still a long way away, they saw him, but they did not recognize him. I, I'm reminded in that text, actually, of the prodigal uh, who makes his way home, and the dad sees him, the father sees him a great way off. And so we have this picture of these men approaching, and they see someone, but they're thinking to themselves, is that Job? And then they make, make uh, uh, the, uh, the recognition and say, that cannot be him. And then suddenly they realize it is him, and it breaks their heart as they approach but understand what they did they left where they were so they could come to where Job was now why is this important well because Job couldn't get to them Job had lost everything he had even if Job still had enough financial worth that he could gather together whatever it took to get to his friends he didn't have the physical health at this point he could not make it and I believe what you're seeing there is a bit of a picture of the depravity of man. The truth of the matter is that we could not get to God, so he came to us. Amen. That Jesus, as our good friend, pursued us. Many of us, and you've heard this before, you know, many of us uh, believe that uh, we say things like, well, when I found Jesus. No, no, no. When you finally realized he found you, he had been searching for you long before you ever turned toward him. Good friends pursue. Maybe you have a friend. Maybe you are that friend that when one of your friends is in trouble, you're going to go there. You're going to be with them. You're going to find a way to get to them or they're going to find a way to get to you. And so I'm reminded that the Bible tells us that Jesus came for us. 
First Peter chapter 1, verse 15. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief, Paul said. He came to save you. He came to save me. Then the Bible tells us in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, a, a verse of scripture many are familiar with. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Have you thought much on the, on the fact that Jesus left heaven with one intention and that was to come and redeem you, to come and pay the price for our sin? That's why he came. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 9, uh, I'm sorry, Hebrews, uh, yes, Hebrews 2 verse 9, but we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he by the grace of God might taste death for everyone. You know, it is true that salvation is free. We talk a lot about that. But the truth is, it cost Jesus everything he had. It's free to us. But think of all that he left behind to come here. To be clothed in human flesh. To die the death that he died. To raise from the dead. To be reunited with his father. To serve as our mediator, our intercessor. And indeed offers himself to us as his savior. So we find here he pursued us. Time and resource is what this took for a friend. You would spend your money to go and help a friend. You would take your resources, you'd take your time, and you would invest in someone else. This is what the friends of Job do. This is what Jesus did for us. Number three on the list of six characteristics is the word passionate. Passionate. The Bible tells us when they saw Job afar off, they wept. They wept. The Bible tells us there were two reasons they came, to mourn and to comfort. That's what it said. We read that earlier. They came to mourn with him and to comfort him. They did this because they loved him. They did this because they were close to him and they had this affection for him. And when they saw him, it broke their heart that they were in the condition, that he was in the condition that he was in. This is an interesting thing that takes place in this text. You know the verse, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Verse 17 is less quoted, but it's extremely important. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. There was a purpose in his coming. He was passionate toward us. The Bible says he loved us. He so loved us. I have in my home a plaque and it simply has a, a sketching, an etching of Jesus with his arms out on the cross. And it simply says, I asked Jesus, how much do you love me? And he stretched out his arms and said this much and then died. He loves you. He loves me. It's an incredible thing, the passion of our good friend, Jesus. Amen. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 4 reads, But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love, with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up together and made us to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast." 
What are we talking about? We're talking about the love of God for us when there was nothing in us worth loving. We're talking about the favor of God bestowed on us when there was nothing in us that merited that favor. It was by grace that he gave to us. What an incredible thing this is. You know, when you think about the passion that moved the friends of Job to come to Job, and you think about the passion of God, the love of God shed toward us that he might send his only son to die for us, you have to understand this involves being other-minded. When we are good friends to our friends, when they are good friends toward us, it means that you're thinking about someone else. Now this goes against the grain as far as the natural way of thinking because we tend to think about us first. But in our good friends, we recognize that relationship. We recognize what, what is, is their need and we become other-minded. The thrust of Christianity, the very core of the teaching of Jesus to his disciples and to us was to be other-minded. He basically summed up everything in two simple commands. Love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And then secondly, love your neighbor as you love yourself. Or if you'll let me say it, be other-minded. So we find that a good friend is someone who is passionate. This is pretty obvious. Number four is a good friend is somebody who is present. Present. You know, there's something about just being there. If your love language, and I don't know how many of you have studied the love languages. Can I find out real quick how many of you are familiar with the love languages? <clears throat> a lot of you are. Good. I, I strongly recommend uh, a good study of that. And if you have studied that before, you understand what quality time is. Maybe you're married to somebody or you have a good friend whose love language is quality time. And, and sometimes all you do with them is you just hang out. Am I right? That's enough. You don't have to go and do anything. You don't, just being in their presence. And there's something about these friends and Job. And the Bible tells us they came to where he was and they sat down with him. This was a priority. They made an appointment together. I love that, sta that statement in the scripture. They made an appointment. Why, why did they do this? They, they wanted to be present. They wanted to be in his presence. You ever had a good friend that went through a tragedy or a difficulty and you might pick up the phone or you might use your cell and call them and say, man, I wish I could be there. I wish I could be there. Or maybe they said that to you, I wish I could be there. There's something about being present that helps us. It doesn't necessarily, they don't have to do anything. Just being there is a big help and a comfort to us. And this is what the friends of Job were doing. I just want to be there. It's, it's important to me. So let me ask you this question. If being in the presence of a friend is advantageous, what about being in the presence of the Savior? Do you make an appointment to sit down with him every day? You know he's available at any time. I get a lot of calls sometimes. People say, Pastor, are you available? I need to come see you. And I say, well, man, this week is really looking rough. And, and we sometimes have to schedule afar. I don't like doing it. It's just a fact. Sometimes you have to. But Jesus never puts you off, man. He never puts you on hold. He never says, I don't have time today. He's always there for us. Yes. Make an appointment with him. Set it aside. If it's important to you, you're going to do it. Yep. I'm reminded of the loyalty and the presence of, uh, recorded for us in the, in the book of Ruth. But Ruth said, 
Entreat me not to leave you, nor turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts you and me. Ruth had every reason in the world to go her own direction. But instead, she decided to stay with her mother-in-law. She said, no, I'm going wherever you go. And there was something about having her present and being in her presence. Good friends are present. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. Let your conduct be without covetousness, but be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Every now and then I talk to somebody and they say, you know, I just feel so alone. If you know Jesus as your Savior, you are never alone. You are never alone. I know sometimes it feels that way, but you are never alone. Then I want you to see number five with me. If you want to take these down, we've got just two more to go here, so bear with me. Patient. Patient. A good friend is somebody who's patient. I've read this text, I don't know how many times. They came to Job, they, they wept over him, they were saddened by his condition, and they sat down with him, and the Bible says they sat there for seven days and seven nights and never said a word at that point, before anybody opened their mouth. You have any idea how difficult that must be? Any idea, particularly for men, now, I know you were going to say, I was gonna, you thought I was going to say for women, right? But I wasn't going to do that. Because that ain't even funny. And I'm, I'm not going to go there. But what I mean is this, men are fixers. When it comes to a problem, man, men are problem solvers. They're not going to come and take seven days to say anything. If they wait seven seconds, something's wrong. I mean, they're going to tell you exactly how to fix that thing. And if there's three of them, you're going to get three opinions. They're all going to be different and every one of them are sure their way is going to work. Am I right? Men are fixers. They're fixers. I have two daughters and a son. My daughters are, are the, the oldest. And, and I remember when my oldest girl reached that age, she, uh, she was in uh, college and she just wanted to talk to her dad. And, and I was pretty busy and being in, in, in the pastorate, you know, always somebody wanting to see you or talk to you. So I just said, you know, I got I to prioritize my family. My wife said to me, hey, your daughter wants to talk to you. So I sat down and she began. And she kept going. <laughs> So I interrupted her, and I gave her a fix, buddy. This is what you need to do. And she started crying, man, just bawling. And I thought, what have I said? And I looked at her, dear mama, and I, what did I say? And with words of wisdom out of my wife's mouth, she looked at me and she said, have you ever thought that maybe what she wants is not for you to fix it, but just listen? I said, no. No. <laughs> I never thought that because you come with a problem, we solve the problem. And, and so men by nature are fixers, man. They're problem solvers. But there was something about this moment. I want you to get this. There was something about the seriousness and severity of this moment that nobody for seven days opened their mouth. Those are good friends. 
They just sat there. They just hung out. They were there. Now later we have a lot to say about the friends and their counsel. And we will deal with that in our series. We're going to condense a lot of chapters to talk about that conversation that went on between them and a fourth individual. We're going we're gonna to do that and we're going to study that out. But for now, let us notice this patience. Proverbs 17 verse 17 says, A friend loves at all times. A friend loves at all times. 1 Corinthians 13 verse 4 says, Love is patient. The Revised Standard Version interprets that as, Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful. Patient. You know, God's been patient with us. Would you agree? Jesus is patient with us. So patient with us. And I'm grateful for that patience. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 28 verse 20, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Jesus said, listen, I've got a commission for you. I've got a work for you to do. I want you to go into all the world. I want you to preach the gospel. Now, I want you to remember this. As you're teaching them everything I've told you to teach them, everything they need to observe, I want you to remember I am always with you. I'm just hanging out with you. Very present and very patient. And then last of all, I want you to see this with me. The Bible says, I want you to go back to Job 2 with me for just a minute, would you? Job 2, and look down with me at the last verse, verse 13. So they sat down with him on the ground seven days and seven nights, and no one spoke a word to him, for they saw that his grief was very great. Last of all, a good friend is perceptive. They're perceptive. A good friend will come to you and say, what's wrong? And when you say nothing, they say, nah, something's wrong. Am I right? Something's wrong. You can fool everybody else, but your good friends, you cannot fool. So I want you to hear me when I say this. And as we study the book of Job and we deal with adversity and we deal with trials, I want you to hear me. God already knows what you're going through. Our good friend Jesus knows exactly what you're dealing with. Maybe nobody else does. Maybe you're able to keep it a secret from them. Maybe it's that hallway talk where somebody comes by and says, how are you doing? And deep in your heart you feel like they don't really mean that. They don't really want to know. But I'm telling you that Jesus already knows. These friends of Job, they knew. The reason they sat there so long, the reason they didn't open their mouth so long, is because they knew the seriousness of what they were dealing with. When you know the seriousness of your friend, you treat the situation a little differently. You might even defend them, stand alongside them, and tell others to leave them alone. Jesus is our advocate and our defender, comes alongside you and says to you, I understand. I understand. One of my favorite verses in the Bible, if not the most favorite, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. You can give him any care you have, all the cares you have. You will never overload him. Can I get an amen? amen. You will never overload him with your burdens and your cares. Sometimes you think you'll do that with people. Sometimes you think, you know, if I shared this with you, it'd be overwhelming. I'm going to tell you, you will not overwhelm Jesus. Right. And he already knows anyway. 
You say, but pastor, you don't understand what I'm dealing with. I don't need to understand it. I'm telling you that Jesus understands it and he knows where you are and what you've got going on in your life. So when you think nobody else can comprehend, I'm telling you Jesus can and does and already knows and wants to carry the load for you. There are a lot of decisions that people make thinking somehow that no one can comprehend their situation. And I'm here to remind you today that as a good friend, Jesus already knows and he wants to help you with that burden, whatever it may be. So well, you don't understand it's my finances or it's my family or it's my personal health. It's, I'm under, I understand that's what Job's were. I understand those, were, those encompassed Job's problems. I understand his were horrific, man. They were difficult and he had good friends. And I'm telling you, you have a good friend in Jesus. In Jesus. Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 30. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field which today is, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. I want you to catch this now. Notice this phrase. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Amen. Though I am dealing with a series that could be taught at any time, at any place, I want to stop for a moment and make note that the holidays are upon us. And with holidays, many people deal with depression and discouragement. And so I want to say this to you so you understand where I'm going with this and maybe find some strength and help in it. You might look at your situation and say, you're worried about a lot of stuff. That's what Matthew 6 is all about. They were worried about shelter. They were worried about clothing. They were worried about food. They were worried about what most of us worry about, just as, as, as basic needs. Maybe you're worried about these things. Maybe you're worried about presence, and you're worried about family, and you're worried about other issues, health, whatever it may be, I'm telling you, your Heavenly Father already knows what your needs are. He knows. He has said, just look to Him. Look to Him. Seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added unto you. What are these things? All of those things you've been worrying about. All of those things you, you feel like you, you just can't do without. I'm telling you, just turn toward the Lord and listen to his comfort and his encouragement. And somewhere he will see you through it all. He is your good friend, Jesus. Maybe you're here today and you're listening to this message and you never asked Jesus to be your Savior. I want to give you an opportunity to do this. I, I don't do this publicly very often, but I'm going to lead you in a moment in a prayer. If you believe that Jesus came and died on the cross for you and you want to ask him to be your savior and you've not made that decision before, I want to give you an opportunity to pray that prayer. I'll lead you in it in just a moment. The whole, the whole congregation will hear it. And those who do not know him, if you'd like to respond by praying it, that would be awesome. If you've already prayed that prayer and you already know Jesus as your Savior, we're entering a portion of the service right now where we stop and we reflect on things. So let me ask you this. How is your appointment setting with your good friend Jesus? How's your relationship with him? 
Is it what it needs to be? Is it time to sharpen it a little bit? Is it time to come back to him and say, I'm sorry, as a good friend, I've not been in communication with you in some time, and I want to get that thing right. Or maybe you just want to stop today and praise him and thank him for loving you the way he loves you and always being there for you. So first, let me ask you to do this. Would you bow your heads with me, please, while heads are bowed and eyes are closed? And if you yourself have never asked Jesus to be your Savior, but you'd like to do that today, right now, where you sit, I'd like to lead you in that prayer. And the prayer is pretty simple. You just acknowledge the things that you know the Bible to teach. So let's begin. You can say it out loud or you can say it privately in your mind. God knows your thoughts. The devil does not, but God does. He'll hear you when you pray in your mind. The prayer simply goes like this. Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. And I believe you died for me. And I'm asking you now, Lord, to come into my heart and be my Savior. Forgive me of all my sin and give to me eternal life, a home in heaven. Now, Lord Jesus, teach me more about you. In Jesus' name, amen. While heads are still bowed and eyes are still closed, I'm going to ask you to do this today. If you just prayed that prayer... Before you leave this building, here's what I'd like to ask you to do. The Bible tells us that Jesus said that you should not be ashamed of him. And so I'm asking you not to be ashamed of him. I'm going to ask you to share that with somebody seated around you today. Maybe it's your friend. Maybe it's somebody you don't know that well. But you go to them and you say to them, I prayed the prayer with the pastor. Now here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I want you to bring that person. If you get anybody that says that to you, I want you to bring them to meet me this morning after the service. Would you do that? Somebody comes to you and says, I prayed that prayer with the pastor. Then you tell them, I want you to come meet the pastor. And let me know that you prayed that prayer today, okay? I'm not going to ask you to stand or raise your hand. But if God has done that for you today and he's become, you've entered into that friendship with Jesus, then you come and let us know. While heads are bowed and eyes are closed, would you stand with me, please? The invitation's open. If you want to take a moment to pray. Take a moment to talk things over with the Lord just to praise Him or to thank Him or maybe to reestablish Him as a priority in your life. Whatever the need may be, God bless you as you spend this time with Him.